Hey, hello friends, and welcome to this message which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Well, as I said, right there, uh, for us, the year 2021 was um, uh, activated under the word hope. Towards the end of 2020, there was a sense of despair and a sense of bewilderment about what is going to happen after a devastating year. And God was challenging us to hope, to believe, and to hope that 2021 there will be a turnaround. And of course, uh, it's not necessarily that all the nations are enjoying the turnaround. As I speak, India is going through the worst crisis perhaps in its uh, recent history, if not history in general. So we pray for a visitation and intervention of God in India. But um, I want to, 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 to speak to us concerning the theme, Return. As, I, as we worshiped God one evening, I just suddenly felt the sense of hope. Hope, hope, hope. And over the next few days, the Lord began to give me these words, return, return, return to me. Return to your ministry. Return to duty. Return to post. Return to passion. Return to faith. Return to mission. And we are a people that constantly need to return because we tend to drift. We tend to drift from vision. We drift from core. We drift from commitment. And God was challenging me to, for us to return. To return to him first and foremost. Because the important thing is not to return to buildings or mere services. Our hearts need to turn back to God. We need to return to the Lord. And that's what my focus is going to be today. In the book of Hosea, chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, come, come, let us return to the Lord. It's an invocation, it's an invitation to the whole house of Israel. Come, guys, let us return to the Lord. And then it says, for he has torn, but he will heal us. And this was after a time of judgment where enemies had come against Israel. And God had pronounced that judgment. And he said, God has torn us, but it is him who is our healer. He may have stricken us, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may be in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning, and he will come to us like the rain like the latter and former rain to the earth. As we return to the Lord, he comes to us in new ways now. 
I am not saying you, are, you have renounced Christ. <laughs> no, you may be completely still walking with the Lord in terms of you've kept your Christian commitment, but you can drift away from intimacy with him. You can drift away from passion for him. You can drift away from the things that you were embracing before. You can drift away from your first love. And the writer here, the prophet Hosea, is saying, when we return to the Lord, there will be a, a, a benefit. There will be blessings that will be re, re, uh, released. And he speaks about how God will revive and raise us and how he will come to us like the rain. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come to us like rain. Father, come to us like the former and the latter rain. Bring into fruitfulness and fruition seeds that have been lying dormant in the soil of our hearts, hopes that have gone into hibernation. Let everything be reactivated in this time for God's people. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 55 and verse 6 also comes to this theme of returning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For his thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are his ways my ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there it again, the, the prophet Isaiah speaks of returning to the Lord. And so every time you engage uh, the word of God concerning, concerning returning to the Lord, you will come face with, to face, whether you like it or not, with the subject of sin. It's woven into this issue of returning to the Lord. Now I need to nail my colors on the mast here because around the body of Christ and in popular teaching, there is a belief that um, uh, because we are saved and now we are children of God and the righteousness of God, the subject of sin does not count anymore. That we as believers are forgiven. It is all history. God does not even remember our sins as he promises in his word. Yet, I find, as I present to you here this morning, that way after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the preaching of the apostles, the very apostles, in their epistles, speak on, subject, on the subject of sin. And, uh, and so, we, ne we need to think. We need to think. And so, permit me to take you on a journey, friends, in returning to the Lord, we cannot leave out the issue of what Jesus has done for us concerning sin and what we must do for him concerning sin. Please note those words. We cannot walk away from the reality of what Christ has done for us concerning sin so that we may also do something for him concerning sin. Amen. So, let us delve in. Under the subject, the threefold cure. 
I want to speak of the threefold cure. I want to present to you, friends, the problem of the world is not poverty. The heart of the problems of our world, of our nations, of our communities, of our families, is not poverty, all disease, all war, all injustice, racism, and all these ugly things, pandemics. At the heart of the problems of our communities and our lives is the problem of sin. Please hear me. Please follow me. At the heart of the issues of, com of society and communities and churches and marriages and families and businesses and nations and politics is the problem of sin. And Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure. And I want to lift him up and declare him as the cure. He is not just the cure. He is the threefold cure to this source of problems. From the time that sin was found in the heart of Adam, trouble, problems broke out. Poverty, uh, pain, and suffering, these are just outcomes of a, of a universe that has been plunged into the, the consequences of the presence of sin. I don't want to get so technical. But you see, the word sin uh, sometimes becomes very religious. We become very religious about it, and it becomes the dirty word of church. And so when you say the word sin, oh, oh the church, people cringe up and say, he, he's condemning us, he's condemning us, and he's judging us. No, 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 no. Actually, the word sin in the original, when in the world of, uh, in the sport of archery, when you aim your bow to hit a bullseye and you miss it and hit uh, a, a centimeter away from, from the bullseye, the distance between the bullseye and where you hit is what was called sin. <laughs> that, was, that is the original definition of the word sin. It is the, cap, the uh, gen general ability to miss the mark. The, the, this tendency for us to miss the mark. And I feel that I'm qualified to speak on this subject because I've been sinning for over 50 years. That's why I can safely speak on this subject. <laughs> I've been sinning for over 50 years because missing the mark is rooted in the heart of man. We are mark missers. We are mark misses. And Jesus had to do something about it. Because God never misses the mark. He's bullseye all the time. <laughs> God is bullseye all the time, every time. And he wants fellowship with us. He created us to enjoy us. And so when Adam misses the mark in the garden, God says, no, 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 no. I've got to do something about this. And you see, it's not in the abundance of prophets or commandments. None of it has a capacity to deal with this mark-missing problem in man. And so God gives us a threefold cure. And I, I was um, prompted concerning this subject not too long ago when we hosted Pastor Michael uh, Chaze, who spoke to us uh, on a Friday night. 
And he, we, we zoomed in on the subject of sin, and he made a statement which made me sit up. He said this, he said, he said, you know, Lincoln, sin is a complicated thing. I don't know whether you guys remember his statement. He said, sin is a very complicated thing. And Jesus deals with it in three ways. Number one, he takes it away. Number two, he forgives it. And number three, he cleanses it. Did you hear those words? God deals with sin in three ways. Number one, he takes it away. Number two, he forgives it. And number three, he cleanses it. And I want to talk about this threefold cure and how a born-again believer learns to walk with God in a threefold uh, um, in a, in a threefold way concerning how we respond to him. Beautiful hymn, well sung, well known, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be to sin the double cure. And that's where I got the title for today because he's talking about the water and the blood as a double cure. And I'm today talking about a threefold cure. Hallelujah. Number one, I want to talk about the taking away of sin. Now, I wish you could talk to your neighbor. Down here, there's very few neighbors, and <laughs> I don't know how it is in your home. Ah, but I want you to tell your neighbor, however far they are, point to them and say, Your sins have been taken away. <laughs> Mm, yes, we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about this. I stand here, just made a statement and said to you, I have been sinning for more than 50 years because I'm more than 50 years. I was born 1962. And here we are in 2021. Quick maths, quick maths. Anyone helping me with the maths? 76, <laughs> 76 Apollo said. No way, Apollo. I'm still a much younger man than that. But listen, John chapter 1 and verse 29. John 1 and verse 29. The next day, it says, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Ah, now I've caught myself in a bit here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, uh, people, in getting technical, we need to understand the difference between sins and sin. Mm. Sins and sin. And it, it, it plays out anyway in the three, four cure that, uh, that I, I, I'm bringing today. Jesus is celebrated by John. This was John's first declaration. Now, I want you to help me to, to appreciate the difficulty of John's task. When you are born in history to be the one, to point out the one that everybody has been waiting for, from Adam, <laughs> from Adam to this moment, everybody is waiting for Messiah. And suddenly you grow up from being a baby and you are told your mission in life is to identify him, yeah, 
prepare the way for him, identify him, and point him out. What a mission. What will you say? It's like when you're given a mic to introduce somebody and you're said you have only one sentence to make. And this person is so important, they have so many uh, qualifications and accolades, and you are told to distill it into one sentence. So it is a powerful statement that uh, John is making, that suddenly, in the midst of a baptism scenario, where people are being baptized and they're coming to him from everywhere, suddenly he sees Jesus, and he recognizes him, and he knows him. First and foremost, because they were relatives. But he didn't know what the guy was doing because besides being relatives, Jesus was not functioning yet. He was not out uh, ministering yet. So suddenly, John sees him. And this is the summary of his introduction. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Please notice it is singular. Who takes away the sin of the world? This one hmm, is the mark missing remover. Behold, the mark missing remover. How? How is it going to remove? Who, for who? For is it is it the the mark the mark missing remover uh, for the church? Is it the mark removing the mark missing remover? For Liberty Christian Fellowship and the born again. No, he is the mark missing remover for the whole world. Jesus. Jesus takes away the sin of the whole world. Now tell me, has he failed in his mission? Did he fail? He did not fail. If he did not fail, then I can make this announcement again. The sin of the world, the sin, notice singular, the sin of the world has been taken away. What a statement. <laughs> Can we pause and ponder? The sin of the world has been taken away. Something happened, my friends, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified. The sin of the world was taken away. My God, what an amazing thing God has done for us in taking away our sin. Now, I'm sure those that are watching me online and the few that are here are saying, Pastor, where are you going with it? Let us absorb these realities right here. <laughs> My friends, the sin of the world has been taken away. Tell your neighbor again. Point to the other one this time. Tell them your sin has been taken away. <laughs> So what does it mean? What does it mean? You see, like M Michael was saying, Pastor Michael, sin has three faces. And each one must be addressed. Sin has three faces. And each one must be addressed. Listen. Until sin has been taken away, it cannot really be forgiven. Whoa. Selah, 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 selah. Because we're going there. <laughs> Until it has been taken, it cannot really be cleansed. The first miracle that must happen is the taking away of sin. And Jesus is the answer 
to this question. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Now, I didn't bring this, these verses up, but if you can go and read the, the whole of Leviticus 16, uh, you read the, 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 this annual uh, ceremony in Israel, and please understand, Israel were just in type. They were just a picture of the miracle that we now fully enjoy. For them, they were enjoying it in picture. At the heart of the worship of the temple in Israel was Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. It was one day in the calendar of Israel where the subject of sin would be dealt with once a year in a poignant powerful way. The whole nation had to focus on the reality that sin has to be dealt with for them to thrive as a community. And you see, Jesus, as we normally uh, refer to him, we refer to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what John just said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But you see, when you go back to Leviticus 16, you find that Jesus was more than just the lamb. Because you see, in the atonement, in the process of the atonement, which was uh, done by the high priest, several things happened. And uh, if we had time, I would have gone through each one of them, but that would be so long. But you see, several animals were involved, and they all speak of Christ. Yeah, they all speak of Jesus. But the focus finally, both in the declaration of John and later even in, in Revelation, is Jesus is called the Lamb of God. But he was more than just the Lamb of God. Listen, in the book of, of Leviticus 16, he, there was also a young bull. A young bull was involved. Now I want you to imagine and picture what would happen on the Day of Atonement. This is the most important day in the calendar of Israel. So a bull had to be brought, a young bull. It was for sins. It was a sin offering. And Aaron the priest had to offer it for himself and his household and his children to cleanse himself. Then there was a ram. A ram is a full-grown male sheep. The full-grown male sheep would even be seen characterized by long, twisted horns. And when you hear of uh, the word ramming into an obstacle, it's because these sheep are notorious for smashing into <laughs> things with their horns. So a ram had to be burnt. This is the Day of Atonement. Now, this is important because the cross is the fulfillment of the atonement. And we look at Jesus as the Lamb of God crucified. But within the crucifixion is the young bull, is the ram. The ram is burnt, the young bull is killed, and then there are two goats. Two goats. You can read through in Leviticus 16. Two goats were also brought. And when the goats are brought into the temple... Lots are cast. Now, goats are notorious for going astray. In fact, in symbolism, goats are not a good, a good animal. <laughs> they normally represent things that go astray and get lost. But it's all part of the, the ritual of the atonement. So two goats were brought, and then lots were cast concerning the two goats. 
Yeah? One goat becomes the goat of the Lord. And the other one would become what was called the scapegoat. The scapegoat, uh, the, 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 rather the lamb, uh, rather the, the goat which is, belongs to the Lord would also be killed. But the scapegoat will be kept alive. <laughs> this is all part of the atonement. The scapegoat would be kept alive. And this is what would happen. The priest would lay hands on the scapegoat and confess all the sins of Israel on laying hands on the goat. <laughs> I tell you, the old covenant was such a messy, weird covenant. Weird looking stuff going on. So is a man laying hands on a goat and confessing all the sins of Israel. Literally imputing and transferring the sins of a nation upon a goat. Then the goat will be given to a chosen man and he would walk into the wilderness and release it. It would never be killed. It would be the scapegoat. Actually, the English language picked up the concept scapegoat from the worship of Israel. Because, uh, you know, by definition, and I think I wrote it down somewhere, if I can find it, a scapegoat is somebody yeah, who is blamed for the faults of others. Yeah, when somebody say, I have been made the scapegoat here, it means we were in this together, we all probably, there were mistakes here, but it's all being blamed on me. Sometimes you are even the innocent party, but you are blamed for the faults and mistakes of others. Jesus is our holy scapegoat. God put upon him all the sins of all of us, and he was driven out from the presence of God. I hope you are hearing me, my friends. This is powerful stuff. I just think the Bible is just endlessly powerful. So Jesus is our holy scapegoat. In fact, from my understanding, if you ever touched or killed the scapegoat, you yourself would be killed. Because it had a holy assignment. It is taking away the sins of the community. And it's driven into the wilderness. So when we celebrate Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we are talking about a composite picture which brings all these things together. There were burnt offerings. There were all kinds of things that the, that the high priest would do on the Day of Atonement. But I didn't want to focus so much on that. I want to, to move on. I want you to first understand Jesus carried all the sins of the world as our scapegoat and was driven from the presence of God into a spiritual wilderness. He carried our sins. And on that day, for a whole year, the sins of Israel would be carried away. Then they could confess them. Hello? <laughs> if there is no removal, if there is no taking away of sins, mere confessing doesn't resolve it. And I, I want to, to, to make more, more, more traction on that in a moment. And I want to make a point here. You see, the taking away of sin was a sovereign act 
You didn't ask for it. You didn't pray for it. You did not download it. You did not unlock it. It is a miracle that God performed all by himself. I bless God that my sins were taken away before I was born. A decree in the spirit takes away the sins not of the church but of the world. Sin has been permanently redefined. Are you hearing me? Sin has been permanently redefined in the presence of God. It is taken away. And I want to wrap that up later as I come. Do you hear me, my friends? The word scapegoat also means to disappear, to go away from. A scapegoat is, is, a, is, is a goat that, that disappears and goes away. This is an amazing reality. Because we have so, so much sin in the world. So much sin in the world. We have so many sins, if I may become technical. But sin has been taken away. The capacity in me to miss the mark. Huh? <laughs> in God has been provided for. Christ is our scapegoat. Number two, the forgiveness of sin. So God takes away my sin. Now, I told you I was born in 1962, and then I came to the Lord, age 20. In those 20 years, I did not know the miracle of salvation. I walked my way, lived my way, did my stuff. All along, I did not know I was walking under a banner of the removal of sins. My friends, if God had not taken away the sins of the world in Christ, civilization would have ended. This is my... One of my theological contentions. It is, I believe, that's what is implied in Malachi, the last verse, when God says, I'll cause the, the hearts of the fathers to return to the sons and the sons to the fathers. Otherwise, I'll return to smite the earth with a curse. Not just Israel. To smite the earth with a curse. If there is not going to be a turning back to fathers, a turning back to fatherhood and to sonship, which is fulfilled in Christ, the earth was going to come under a curse. But thank God for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Number two, allow me to go forward before I bring it all together. The forgiveness of sins. Because you see, in 1962, I had the gospel, the month of March. The month of March for, um, for me is the month in which everything is birthed. Hmm? Yeah? So, 1962, I'm born physically. Hmm? 1981, I am born spiritually. Walking out like a stupid boy, doing everything everybody does. Not knowing a lamb had carried away my sins before God. One day I hear the gospel. And I, it wasn't put this way. I wasn't, it wasn't explained in the technicalities that it is. Thank God we don't need to get it technically. <laughs> what I know is that Jesus came into my home. Jesus walked into my mother's house. Jesus came into a house full of alcohol and witchcraft. Why? Because sin had been dealt with before God. In a way I can't even fully verbalize. That's why. Heaven could walk into a dirty house. That's why Jesus could stoop down before we had prayed, before we had confessed. He showed up 
because the gospel was preached. And we didn't even know, uh, what are we called? We just knew the presence of God was all over the house. And everything was changing. And it's like, what is this thing? What has happened to us? The presence of God came. The gospel came. The kingdom message came. We didn't even know the beginning and the end of it. We didn't understand what we are supposed to do or not do. We were not tutored and, 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 and discipled. In fact, looking back at the first years of our salvation, I'm thinking, what were we doing? <laughs> what were we doing? We were full of mistakes and errors and weird doctrine, but thank God it was under a banner that predated the conversion. Because the Lamb of God had carried away our sins. Now we could step into forgiveness. This now becomes personal. You see, Jesus dies for the whole world. But that does not mean the whole world is saved. The, whole, the, the person who is saved is the one who experiences the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins comes through personally hearing the gospel. Opening your heart before God and saying, Father, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I miss the mark. That place of brokenness and understanding that you are a mark misser. Acknowledging that you are a mark misser is what writes your name in the book of life. Are you hearing me, friends? So it is of no benefit that Jesus dies for a whole world and nobody believes, hears, and confesses and asks for forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. My God, we are moving away from what God did. We are coming to what we must do. And the first thing we must do is acknowledge that there's a fundamental difference between us and God. God is light. In him, no darkness at all dwells. This is where it starts from. And he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, this, my friends, is being written <laughs> in the new covenant. Because some people think there's no, there's no writing on sin in the new covenant. We are forgiven. Or, no, 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 no. <laughs> Please don't get it mixed up. Don't get it mixed up. Returning to the Lord means examine your heart. I'm going to say that again. Returning to the Lord, Liberty Christian Fellowship, means we examine our hearts, not in self-condemnation, because when you go into self-condemnation, you are double-condemning the one who was condemned. What God wants is conviction and repentance and returning. Hmm? Not condemnation and self-punishment. But we need to acknowledge that God is light. Yeah, God is light, and when I'm contending with darkness in my life, I must be open and real with him. And recognize that God is light. And if I have fellowship, and the word is fellowship, 
And many times people mistake the fact that you may have a relationship with God as a born-again believer. You are now a child of God, but the point was never just a relationship. God wants fellowship. Yeah? Fellowship is the key. He says if we have fellowship with him, and then we are walking in darkness, we are lying. Something is out of alignment there. We cannot live anywhere we want and claim that we are in fellowship with him. Yes, thank God we may be in relationship, but God wants fellowship. And so he says we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is as he is the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us. We've moved away from taking away of sin. We're now talking about cleansing of sin. The blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us ongoing. There's an ongoing cleansing by God in the life of a believer. If we say, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say you are not a mark misser, you are lying to yourself. But if you confess your sins, verse 9, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The Bible, let the Bible speak for itself. And I can't preach this arrogantly. I can't preach this with condemnation. But friends, the Bible is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. I say, come on guys. Don't mix up what I've done with what you must do. <laughs> I have taken away your sins. You must now confess them. You must now confess them and turn away from them. And learn to walk in the light. Yes, contend. When you are having a tough time, remember the taking away. But go back to the cleansing. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me, friends? Now, I want to use an illustration. Or shall I use it at the very end? Let me use it at the very end. Let me just finish this. Confessing of sins is not what takes sin away. Huh. This is a powerful statement. The confessing of sins is not what takes them away. Confession leads to forgiveness, but the taking away was done by Christ. Jesus, help us. <laughs> Did you get that, Apollo? Does it make sense? If he had not taken them, there would have been no opportunity to confess them. Ah, if he had not died in my place, I would have never had the opportunity. To be convicted. It was a catch 22. The catch 22 is this. Sin separates me from God. But I need God to separate me from sin. Yes. Catch 22. Which one comes before the other? To come to God, I need to be clean. But I need him so that I can come to him. <laughs> It's a catch-22. God resolved the catch-22 in Christ. And he says, let me give you my son. Let him take away the sin. That you may find an opportunity to confess it. Thank you, Jesus. 
And when we confess our sins, when we acknowledge our mistakes, God is faithful to forgive us. And somebody put it this way. He said righteousness initially, the most, most important definition of righteousness is the shortening of the distance between sin and confession. You must first of all shorten the distance between getting it wrong and putting it right. The problem is when you just get it wrong and do nothing. God looks at you and says, you have not understood what I've done for you and what happened to my son and what he did for you. I'm talking about returning to the Lord, so I'm speaking prophetically to the house. It is time to return to the Lord. It is time to return to the Lord. It is time to return to the Lord. It's time. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. This is not about condemnation. It's about waking up and being rightful before God. It's about being fair. And it's about doing the important necessaries. Are you there, God's people, with me? May God give us power to respond to this message. So, I want you to understand that we must confess our sins. The confession does not take them away. It just brings the forgiveness. The taking away was done by another act. Now, confession of sin brings forgiveness. But then the Bible brings in another word. As we have read, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. There are two things. There's a forgiveness and there is a cleansing. Now, what is involved in cleansing? Every day, I was laughing yesterday with a friend, saying how important the kitchen is. Uh, imagine if the kitchen was deleted from your house. All the gadgets of the kitchen. Imagine the fridge dies, the washing machine dies, hmm? the kettle dies, <laughs> the microwave dies. You're gone. You're in so much trouble. But, but specifically the washing machine. Oh, my goodness. When there is nothing to clean, when there's nothing to clean the clothes and to clean the dishes, when there's no cleansing, what a mess. What a mess. We need cleansing. To clean is to remove. Is to remove something that is dirty out, either of a garment or off a surface. To remove something that is unclean. And so God does not just forgive us. He cleanses us. So imagine a little child walks into mom and says, Mommy, mommy. And they are full of chocolate. They just broke into the cupboard and ate all the chocolate. They've messed themselves up. Mommy, mommy, I'm sorry I ate all the chocolate. You look at this child and say, what were you doing? Mommy, mommy, I was hungry. Mommy, I'm sorry. And you say, okay, I forgive you. Does it stop there? No. The bathtub yeah. uh, <laughs> must be run. The bath must be run and the child must be cleaned. Forgiveness is not enough. Yes. I need cleansing yes. as well. Thank God that Jesus does not just take away our sins. He forgives us and he cleanses us. And cleansing talks about the removing of the power, the presence of sin in the life of a believer. So the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful 
forgive our sins and also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1 8. Yeah? As I close, I want to bring the illustration. Have you watched these um, programs on TV where they, they go to a house, the house of a hoarder? A hoarder. Hoarders are people who, <laughs> I think it's, a, it's a, a problem in the head, where the house becomes a tip. Rubbish. Rot. Mess. Everything is everywhere. Plates, cups that were used one year ago. They grew fungus, even the fungus died. You know, even when fungus gives up and it dies, and everything is dead and dead beyond dead. Now, people, I've seen programs where somebody, people come in, a team comes in to somebody who's a hoarder, who's completely messed up. They come into their house, they show you the state before, and then the cleanup begins. The cleanup begins to remove this mess from the life of the person. But you see, before it is done, they talk to this person. What happened? What's going on? And before the house can be cleansed, there's got to be a change of heart. The hoarder must have a change of heart. Even while the house is still dirty, a change of heart, a miracle happens in the heart, and something breaks. And now the cleansing begins. The removing, the taking. Now, all the stuff is heaped outside the house. Yeah? Usually, in, in uh, worse situations, they hire a skip. So, the, the mess which was in the house ends up being a mess outside. But where did the mess start? The mess started in the head. Yeah? And that's where the greatest miracle must happen. I must change from being a hoarder. Number two, the mess must be removed from the house. Number three, a truck must come and take it all away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away <laughs> the sins of the world. Jesus is the takeaway truck. His work at the cross is the takeaway truck. But that does not mean your house is clean. It means you need to clean it out because the takeaway truck has been provided. Jesus calls us to return to him. So as I close, I want to read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. And I want you to make this a prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. This is a man after God's own heart. God never changed his mind concerning David. Jesus is called the, 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 the son of David. He was chosen. His throne was forever. But he has caught himself in a mess, but he has to confess it so that he may return to the Lord. Yeah? He is in the Lord, but he needs to return. Have mercy on me, O God. I feel prophetically that God spoke to me this morning to challenge people to return to the Lord, to challenge us all to return to the Lord. Please pause wherever you are. Those of you that are connecting, please return and speak to the Lord right now. Bring to God things that have not been in line. Have mercy on me, O oh God, you already have in Christ. 
But now I am not seeking for that general pardon. I'm seeking for a personal, personal cleansing. Have mercy on me, O God. Psalm 51 is written by David after the prophet Nathan has spoken to him and said, the Lord has forgiven you. You will not die. So he had already appropriated forgiveness, yet he has to do the confession. Because my forgiveness does not exempt you of your need to confess. Do you understand? God's mercy does not exempt us of brokenness. Thank God he has forgiven you. But you need to acknowledge where things have gone wrong. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He's not talking about forgive. He's talking about cleansing. A blot, a blotch is something that is like a stain on your shirt or dress. He's saying, Lord, blot out. Just take it out of the fiber and the fabric of my being. Cleanse me. He says, wash me thoroughly from iniquity. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's asking for washing. He's talking about a cleansing. Lord, you see, what happens to fabrics when dirt permeates and weaves into the fabric of a into the, the textile, the fabric of the textile. And in, in washing, in fact, in most cultural washing, the clothes are beaten against a stone to beat the stain out of the fiber. Wash me thoroughly with iniquity, uh, from iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, I des you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Now hyssop was a stain removing harsh soap that was used to purge stains. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Because you see, joy goes. Gladness goes. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and brought out my knees. In a way, a lot of this was done in Christ. And you see, what God did does not mean we have done. We must thank him for doing it, but we must respond in gratitude. He says, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me in your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. Amen and amen. Every eye closed where you are. Father, we thank you for the threefold cure. Thank you, Jesus, that you take our sins away, that you forgive our sins, but that also, most importantly, you cleanse our lives. As we return, as this nation opens its windows again, as this nation opens its doors again, as airports dare, to welcome flights. We, the church, 
must respond to you by returning to you and asking for your mercies to fall upon us. We ask for the cleansing power of the blood. Lord, as your church recovers right now from the purge, uh, from, the, from the death and destruction across the nation, we ask for a deep purging, a walking in fellowship with you that does not take you for granted. We honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen. God bless you, friends. Okay, we're going to close in a moment. But please, do not go into retirement mode until we have honored God with our substance. We are going to give, and I'm going to ask in a moment, uh, for those that are tuning in, uh, to access the giving details of the church. So I'm going to give uh, the broadcast team a moment to just show you that. Make sure they can hear me. Yeah? Please uh, uh, make your gift to God uh, payable to those account details by Lloyd's Bank is where we, we bring our offerings. And also if you have the app that we use, the gift app, please honor the Lord by giving. I pray a blessing right now. Uh, as Father in heaven, we thank you. For this Sunday, thank you for your goodness and mercy that fail not. And we ask that, Lord, as everyone gives, as we open the treasury of our hearts to bring, of our purses to, to bring to you, that we remember to be grateful for what you have done for us in Christ, in taking away our sins, not just ours, but the sins of the whole world, as the Bible says. What a merciful God. What a gracious God. Father, we pray that you, you help us to be bearers of the, of the message of reconciliation. The people who are walking in guilt, and condemnation, and anger will understand all these things have been dealt with in Christ. We just need to confess and come home. Bless every giver. Bless us. Bless our families this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.